0: Would you stand up? I feel like that was a lot of announcements. And I just want to take a pause right now and pray and just humbly know that God is omnipresent. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us no matter where we're at. We cannot escape His love. But the Bible also talks about the manifest presence of God where God makes Himself real to us at a certain time, in certain instances. He, shows up in a powerful way, in a real way, and just confirms his presence. So what I want to pray for this morning is that God would manifest his presence among us today. No matter where you're at, no matter what situation you're in, whether you just came out of a storm, you're going into a storm, or you're in the midst of a storm, God, manifest your presence in our midst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can survive the desert seasons of life because your presence is with us. And Lord, we gather here this morning, and your word says where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. I thank you, Father, for our worship team who led us into your presence, led us into your gates through thanksgiving and prayer. I thank you, Father, for Dave and the word that he had about communion. I thank you this morning, two weeks after Easter, Lord, that we don't Um, serve a dead God but we serve a resurrected King in Jesus name I thank you Lord that freedom is ours in Jesus name and Lord that we don't have to be beaten down pushed down bullied um, by the enemy Lord that we can be overcomers because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world in Jesus name amen you could be seated this morning God is here How many like me have ever been startled? You know, you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, from nowhere, it seems like um, you hear the sound of sirens, and you see um, flashing lights as emergency response vehicles are responding to a call. I believe that there are few symbols more instantly recognizable and at the same time alarming and relieving than the flash of lights and the scream of sirens. The law states that we're to curve right, that we're to pull over to the side of the road and yield to emergency response vehicles when their lights and sirens are activated. But if you're like me, you're tempted to curve right, but then pull back out and follow them to see what they're gonna find when they get to the place. How many many know what I'm talking about? As a former police chaplain for the Rockford Police Department, let me tell you something about these emergency response teams. Their number one goal in a nutshell is to stop a problem and as much as possible, restore law and order and provide assistance to individuals in need. For lawbreakers, the sound and of sight of flashing lights and sirens invokes incredible fear. The fight or flight response kicks in and panic overwhelms. However, for those in desperate need of protection or rescue, lights and sirens can be symbolic of safety, relief, law, and order. How many know that when it comes to our relationship with God, there are times that we plead with God to come to our rescue, much like calling 911 and waiting for an emergency response team to arrive? We want God to show up, and we want him to show up in a hurry. However, the truth, as I just shared just a minute ago, is he's already there. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've asked him to be the Lord of your life, he's already there. His word says in Psalm 46.1, one of my favorite psalms, I encourage you to read it in the context that the psalmist David wrote it in. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present a very present help in times of trouble. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I know some of you are thinking, Pastor Lance, I've surrendered my life to God and he still seems distant. I want to give you five things real quick before I move on into the rest of the message this morning of what you can do when God seems distant. This is where you get your pen out. And you write some notes. Number one, know that what you're experiencing is normal. God's silence may be how it feels, but it's not how it is. God's silence may be how it feels, but it's not how it is. His presence is still there with you in times of silence, and that in those times, we're simply called to trust the promise more than the perception. Trust the promise more than the perception. Number two, when God seems distant, embrace the quiet. Embrace the quiet. We're we're so good at filling quiet times with distractions, aren't we? Instead of just being quiet before the Lord. Protect those quiet times that God will eventually speak into. Number three, in those quiet times when God seems distant, tell God what you think. How many know that it's okay to be blunt, to question God and tell him how you feel? God's aware. God sees. He knows that we're emotional beings. But don't stay there. Ask him to help you to trust him, even when you don't understand. Number four, don't demand Burning bush experiences. God doesn't always use pyrotechnics. He doesn't always use theatrical expressions. You remember when he spoke to Elijah? He said he wasn't in the storm, he wasn't in the wind, he was in the quiet. He was in the quiet. He often comes to us in the quiet. Number five, when God seems distant, keep moving. Sometimes we wait by sitting still, and how many know that other times we wait by keeping moving? We seek biblical counsel, we seek advice from mature believers, we continue in prayer, and then when the time comes, we move forward in confidence that God is with us, whether we feel Him or not. How many know those are some good things? Those are some good things. Turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 63. The book of Psalms tells us again and again how the psalmist David practiced these same five things and relied on God for rescue from his enemies, rest when he was too tired to go on, forgiveness when he sinned, and the reassurance that God was present and listening even when he seemed silent and distant. David found what he needed in the presence of God. David was a psalmist, he was a songwriter. Um, The book of Psalms is kinda like his journal where he would journal his thoughts, whether good, whether bad, whether ugly. He would write um, hymns in the desert, he would write lyrics. He, He was a creative being, he was an emotional being. And in the desert times of life, we need to pursue God just as desperately as David did when he said in Psalm 63:1, O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Did you know how notice how David starts off this psalm? I love it. He says, Oh God, you are my God. This is where we have to begin. While the atheist says no God, and the Hindus and other polytheistic religions say many gods, David said, oh God, you are my God. Saying my God signifies ownership, belonging, and love saying my God is proclaiming that God isn't just the God of the Bible, that God isn't just the God of church history, that God isn't just the God of our pastoral team or our friends or our grandma or our grandpa. God isn't just the God of this church, but God, he's my God, my God. Do you know your God personally as my God? Do you know him as the one who moves on your behalf? Do you know him as the one who sees, who hears, and understands where you are and what you need? My God, say it with me, my God. My God, he's faithful. My God, he shows up. My God, he knows what I've gotten myself into, and my God knows how to get me out, amen? And so David starts out by saying, oh God, you are my God. All that you are, God, you are to me. David is in the desert being pursued by his enemies while he is writing this. He's not in the temple. He's not sitting protected on the throne, but he's in the desert. David is in danger. It is thought that his own flesh and blood, his son Absalom, is pursuing him. Absalom wants his position and Absalom wants his life. And he has fled to the desert to hide. And 2 Samuel 16:14 tells us that in fleeing from Absalom, the king and all the people that were with David arrived at their destination exhausted. Picture this. David is exhausted. His enemies are hot on his tail. He's in the desert of Judah. It's a sterile desert. Waterless on every side, seamed with cracks like mouse wide open, waiting for rain that never comes. There's no food. It's inhabitable. It's a barren wasteland. Yet, it was in this hour of despair where David looks up from the desert to heaven and offers a desert hymn. Friends, there will be times in your life like David's when you will find yourself in the desert. It's in the desert when you're stripped of all comfort that your soul must cry out, O oh God, You are my God. God, my focus is not on my situation. My focus is not on my circumstances. My focus is on you. Help me to trust you. And then David goes on to say, early will I seek you. Early will I seek you. What David is saying is, before anything else, God, you're my number one priority. Before anything else, God, you're my number one priority. What a lesson for us. When we're going through the desert times of of need and and we're dry and thirsty, the Bible tells us to seek the Lord early each day. What a difference it would make in each of our lives if we, like David, made it a priority to to connect with God early each day in prayer. If you Google, like I did this last week, inspiring morning routines of highly successful people, you will find on almost every list that successful people throughout the Bible, successful people that are businessmen and businesswomen, um, on all their lists, the habits, the, the disciplines that they have that have made them successful, they have written prayer and meditation, whether they were believers or not. It has been said, what first lays hold of the heart in the morning is likely to occupy it all day. How many know that's true? What first lays hold of the heart in the morning is likely to occupy it all day. Someone even said this, you make or break your life between 5 and 7 a.m. Jesus himself even had a habit of awaking early to pray. Mark in chapter 1 verse 35 says, rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Why did he do it? Twofold reasons, solitude and preparation. Because where did you find Jesus after that? He was ministering, teaching in the synagogue, ministering to people, meeting them where they were at. He was working hard. He started his day in prayer, and he often ended his day in a prayer. Got himself away from the disciples, excused himself from the crowds, and went went away to pray and to seek his father. Few examples of some ways that you can seek God early in the morning. If you're not a morning person, I struggle with this myself. I want to give you a few ways that you can seek God early in the morning. Listen to a passage of scripture. Many of the Bible apps, including the YouVersion Bible app that you can download um, on the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store, will um, read to you the scriptures. I just heard this. Is this true? that you can change the the voice that reads to you? Is it true? That's good to know. People make fun of me like, why are you listening to that weird-sounding guy talking to you? I said, I didn't know you could change the voice. Number two, read a proverb a day. There are 31 proverbs, one for each day of the month. So, for example, today is May 5th. Read the corresponding proverb, Proverbs chapter 5. You can discuss it with your spouse. You can discuss it with a friend, an accountability partner. um, But just dive in, pick something out. We do that each week in in our men's group meetings. Um, We look at a proverb a day together, and we discuss it and what stood out to us. Number three, read a devotional from an online app like the YouVersion Bible app. There's a lot of great devotionals that are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you can buy books. Number four, spend time praying through a list of people in your life. And number five, listen to praise and worship music as you get ready for the day. Some people even write out a scripture that they're believing God for, or a scripture of encouragement. They'll post it on their mirror in their um, bathroom, and they'll recite it each day until it gets into them. That's another great thing, too. There's a lot of great things that we can do to spend that early part of our day with the Lord. Number two, seek God early in different situations you encounter. How many know that a lot of times we seek God last? When things blow up, when things are in crisis mode, we're like, oh, okay, Um, God, I need your help now. But God calls us to seek him early in situations Seek him early in our relationship. Seek him early when considering a new job or career. Seek him early before making major purchases. Seek him early in all the plans you make. And then lastly, this word, seek the Lord early, I will seek you. Seek the Lord early in life and teach each new generation to do so. It's so important to expose our children and youth to the truth of God's word at a young age. Yes, people can turn to God and um, receive him as Lord and Savior of their life at any age, but research shows that nearly half of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before the age of 13, 43%. Then he goes on in the research and says, and two out of every three born-again Christians made a commitment to Christ before their 18th birthday, 64%. This may be touchy for some, but I feel like I need to go here this morning in love and truth. There's a disturbing, alarming trend, and I believe the enemy is behind it 100%, happening in our society today where sports have gotten into the way of church attendance for children and youth. How many agree? Used to be when I was a kid, they, would, they wouldn't they would give you homework on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights were known as a night to go to Awana, Royal Rangers, whatever midweek program that your church had. Sundays, there were no sports tournaments. It was a day, it was a Sabbath day. It was a day of rest. It was a day for the family. And now... Um, we have sports activities on Wednesday nights, practices and alike. And Sundays are are reserved for tournaments. And we have families um, traveling and spending half a day traveling, you know, one to two hours. I mean, this last week, my daughter was on a track meet in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Got home, I think it was at midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Traveling. I I have spent time and money, and sometimes even uh, money on a hotel room, to go and be a part of my son's basketball tournaments, which sometimes land on a Sunday. And what the alarming thing to me is that we can spend a day and a half traveling and spending time and money at a sports um, tournament or game, but fail to protect one and a half hours a week for our children, to be in church learning about God and growing in their faith. Now, when my son came to me and said, Dad, I want to play football when he was a sophomore, I said, do it. Great leadership skills that you can learn from it. Learn about teamwork and camaraderie and supporting each other. But friends, let's protect also what our children can get out of being around Christ-like people, growing in their faith. That's what's going to sustain them and protect them. I saw on Facebook a post that I'm 100% agree with. It said there is 0.0296% chance that your child will become a professional athlete, but there is 100% chance that your child will stand before Jesus. I'm just saying that nothing should take place of God in your children's lives. Early, early in their life, teach them and the next generation to seek the Lord. In the rest of our time this morning, I want to continue on through um, Psalm 63. What David did in order to survive the desert season of life. Number one, seek the Lord. David says in verse two, my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. I mean, David is exhausted. We're talking about a hot desert. But he, he doesn't say, my soul thirsts for water. He says, my soul thirsts for you, God. He doesn't say that my soul thirsts for the destruction of my enemies, but my soul thirsts for you, God. He doesn't say my soul thirst for deliverance, God. You got to rescue me from this situation. But he says my soul thirst for you, God. I ask myself the question: Why does David's soul thirst for God? And then I got it. Because in that verse it says, "Because I have seen him in the sanctuary, and have beheld his power and his glory." How many know that when you experience God in a supernatural way, that you, once you taste the Lord, you want to taste him again? I remember as a teenager going to church after I got my license, it was my grandma who would invite me and bring me, and it was my cousin who got me to go midweek, and it was in that midweek times in, in vacation Bible school that I gave my life to the Lord, but... There was was something that was deposited into me early in my life through my grandma and the effects of my aunts and uncles and my cousin that made me hungry to taste the Lord more. We had a new pastor in our church, and he had um, teens my age, and they happened to be girls, so that was a good motivator, um, you know, to go to church. And and, um, I started going to church, and um, um, camp was coming up and I got to be a part of my first summer camp and I went to to summer camp and instead of um, being a part of camp they needed counselors and they asked me to be a counselor for these kids who were from the inner city um, part of Chicago who who weren't believers yet they had already ran out the first counselor and, and they were scrambling and they didn't know what to do I was 16 counselors had to be 18 but they said I looked big enough to be 18 and just be quiet and um, they put me through a quick orientation and put me in the room with these boys. And I remember walking into the room, and um, the first sight was this boy um, over in the corner and, uh, with a frozen, um, ice-covered air conditioner in the room. And he had the, the hair, hair dryer from the room, and he was trying to de- defrost it. And he said, oh, you must be our counselor as he's holding this hair dryer, trying to defrost the air conditioner. And I remember thinking, what did I get myself into and um, then we were, we were tasked with te- teaching them Bible verses. And I didn't even know the Bible that well myself at that time. And, and so we would spend time together learning these different Bible passages because in the afternoons we were going to have Bible quiz time and competition. And um, I had talked the boys into skipping some of the fun activities to, to learn these Bible passages. And I remember that week how God just brought us all together and just unified our, our group and these, these boys who didn't know Christ, many of them received Christ that week through the evening sessions, learned a lot of these Bible verses, and I believe that we even took third in, in, the, in the Bible quiz tournament. But the big thing out of all of that was I remember coming away from camp, driving back with our new pastor in his car, saying, this is what I want to do the rest of my life this is what I want to do the rest of my life. We, then something started to happen in our church on Sunday nights, um, you know, where a lot of churches were getting rid of Sunday nights. God was, was doing something special on Sunday nights in our church, and we would um, worship, and we would sing songs, and then people would yell out from the congregation and say, can we sing that one more time? And then the pastor would open up the altar, and we would come down, and we would Pray, and I remember God meeting me in those moments. I remember taking a lot of um, big prayers to the Lord. I was injured really bad in football, um, had a serious head concussion that led to some other difficulties where I was supposed to be out of sports for the, for the rest of my high school career. And God healed me in that altar and allowed me to come back my senior year and, and start um, first ring in the, on the football team. I remember him just doing some incredible things that my friends and I, we would skip Friday night going out and doing things with, with groups just to get together at the church and pray and seek the Lord and worship and put on worship music. And we would come together in church and we would say, God, we are hungry for more. We're hungry for more. Out of 10 kids in our youth group, five of us ended up going into full-time um, ministry and are still in ministry today. I say all that to say that once you experience the presence of God. Once you understand what God can do in your life, and, um, and once you feel him, you taste him, you want to taste him again. You want more. And that's where David was. He said, uh, David said, here, God, I want more of you. I'm thirsty for more of you because I have seen you in the sanctuary and have beheld your power and your glory. So he went on to say, God, I've got to see. I've got to see. God, I've got to see as I've seen in your promises, as I've felt in my spirit, as I've heard preached and I've read about, as you've made yourself real to me before my soul thirst. And then he goes on, number two, in verses three, to praise and to pray. And verse three says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. David calls to memory those times in his past where he had beheld the glory and power of God. His lips are filled with praise. David didn't allow his external circumstances to keep him from praising and thanking God. Friends, our thanksgiving and praise should be real. We need to praise him in the good times, and we need to praise him in the bad. David says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands, which means I will praise you in all circumstances, because your love is better than life. Lastly, in order to survive the desert seasons of life, you must meditate upon the Lord. Verse 6 says, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of night, because of your help I sing in the shadow of your wings. See, David's thoughts of God occupies his mind so much that he couldn't get his mind off him. And it can't be a mental thing, friends. What I'm talking about this morning, you have to experience for yourself. It can't be something that's manufactured. You can't make yourself do it. How many know that it's a, if it's a mind thing and something you try to manufacture that you will not be able to sustain it? You can start off down that track, but you will find yourself off that track soon. It wasn't a mental thing for David. It was something that was down in his soul and in his spirit. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of night. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a desert situation, my bedtimes are usually filled with restlessness rather than sleep as my active mind replays over and over the incidences of my day. A lot of times anxiety grips me. There are even times in the night where I I will play over thoughts of how I can get even with those who have wronged me. How many of you have ever been there before? But David's daytime praise spilled over into the quiet watches of his night. David says, I will praise you because you have been my help. In other words, there hasn't been a cross that you've called me to bear, bear, that you haven't given me the ability to endure. And as a result, in verse 8, he says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. He says, you take the lead, God, because I'm right behind. I'm following really close, Lord. Lord. David learned, as we must, to no longer focus on our outer circumstances, but on God himself. We cling to God, but our clinging isn't one-sided, because he upholds us with his mighty right hand. I love how Psalm 127, too, and there's times where this verse will put me to sleep at night. It says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Who does he love? He loves you, and you, and you, and you, and you. He loves all of us. He gives sweet sleep to his children. He upholds us. We have the worship team come. And as they're coming, I just want to recap in order to survive desert times of life, we need to seek the Lord. We need to praise and pray. We need to meditate upon the Lord. And if we do these things, we will be made strong as the Lord supports us. I want you stand as we go to the Lord and worship and prayer and end our service this morning. I'm not old, although my staff and some of them are here this morning would say, you're old, especially when I say, do you remember old Yeller? (laughs) Who's that? But I'm old enough to know and I've walked with the Lord long enough to experience some desert times. And what I've learned is that they're never fun to go through. But when I look back, see, God calls us to live our lives forward. But as we look back, we see his hand, don't we, along the way? And as I look back, I have noticed that those desert times were fruitful times. Although the desert that I was experiencing at that time seemed barren, fruit was being produced in my life as I walked through the desert. So my encouragement to you this morning is if you find yourself in the wilderness or a desert situation right now, God is producing fruit in your life. So be faithful, be obedient. There's times even as a dad that I'm quiet when my kids are asking, 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 asking. Not because I don't love them or I don't desire good things for them. But because I want them to be able to stand up on their own two feet. I want them to learn how to trust. I want them to be able to mature. And see, desert times can be times of testing of our faith can be maybe not yet times. Just the not yet. You're not ready yet. But there are always fruitful times. So if you would bow your heads with me this morning, I want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that wherever I am, you are with me, guiding me, protecting me. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that you can cause streams to flow in the desert. You can make beautiful things from the ground. Thank you, Father, for giving me the opportunity to walk with you, to grow in you. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't call the equipped, but, Lord, that you equipped the call that you placed in my life. And Father, I pray for my friends this morning, that you would meet them here today. Lord, we know your presence is already real and here and among us. We feel it. We sense it. Father, I pray that you would make yourself manifest your presence, Lord, to those that find themselves in desperate situations right now. Make yourself real in those situations. Speak into their quiet, Lord, in Jesus' name. Show them that you're aware, that you see, that you hear, that you're for them, not against them. And, Father, help us to worship you as we close our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
1: From the ashes, your love has brought us out of the darkness and into the light, lifting our sorrows, bearing our burdens, and healing our hearts. Sing that again. Well, love has brought us out of the darkness into the light, lifting our sorrows, and bearing our burdens, and healing our hearts. And to our God, we lift up one voice, to our God, we lift up one song, to our God, we lift To our God we lift up one voice. To a God we lift up one song. To our God we lift up one voice, singing hallelujah. a chains have been Eyes have been opened An army of dry bones Is starting to rise Death is defeated And we are victorious For you are alive To our God we lift up one voice To our God we lift up one song To our God we lift up one voice, sing Hallelujah. To our God lift up one voice. To our God we lift up one song. To our God we lift up one voice, sing Hallelujah. God, we lift up one voice, to our God, we lift up one song, to our God, we lift up one voice, sing hallelujah, hallelujah, sing hallelujah, hallelujah, sing hallelujah, hallelujah. Sing hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.